as we open in worship. Sin and make us new. 
Faith Family Fellowship. I'd like to extend a welcome to you. My name is Matthew. Uh, there should be a card right in front of you that uh, is, should it say communication card? May say connection card? I'm not certain. But it's right in front of you and it's blank. Would love for you to make it not blank and fill out a little information uh, about yourself on that and drop it in the basket on your way out this morning as your offering. We greatly appreciate that. And so by way of announcement, this past week, uh, not past week, past day, yesterday, we had a, uh, a handful of folks who spent several days setting up over in the Family Life Center and uh, welcomed some foster families, and that, uh, that occurred yesterday morning, and I just want to give you kind of a report from that. Uh, it was a great morning, a great time to... Your, your gifts that you brought last weekend as they were prepared and given, about 84, 83 kids uh, were given school supplies and supported, about 24 families uh, through that. And so your gifts went, went to them. And uh, here in just a few minutes, once we are done in here, uh, we will, there will be an open, kind of an open house over in the, uh, the foster closet and, and invite you to come walk through, check out uh, what what the Lord has been doing and what the, the volunteers uh, are from our people who have been working and serving to set up and see to support uh, the foster families in this county, uh, what's been going on. And so I want to say thank you uh, for all of you who volunteered your time and, and effort the last week in preparation, those who brought and gave uh, backpacks and supplies and I uh, want to encourage you to join me in prayer in a little bit as we wrap up this kind of welcome time, praying for foster families, praying for these, these kids who came uh, yesterday, these families who came yesterday, and for the Lord to be with and use this church to support uh, those families and those connections made, and that he would use yesterday and those gifts for the sake of the gospel, that he would soften hearts and that the seed of the gospel would be planted in these lives. And so I want to ask you to join me in prayer in just a little bit. Before we get there, uh, let's, let's look at our verse for the month. This is the 31st of July, so this is our last day of July. So this will be the last time we recite this verse. So I hope you've memorized it. I hope the last five weeks has stuck in your mind uh, what this verse in Isaiah uh, is and that it would it would be something that is chiseled on your heart and that it would be with you. So let's read it once and uh, then we'll pray. Okay? And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6, 5. The Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of all. There is none greater than him. There is no thought we can have of him that is greater than he is. He is the Lord, and he is the King. And so if you would join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you. You are the Lord. You are the King. You are a just King. You are a kind King. You are gracious. So God, I thank you for your goodness in our lives, your goodness that we have seen, and your specific and special goodness in your Son, Jesus. That he came as a propitiation to pay our debt, to pay the debt of sin that is upon us all, that we have engaged in and taken part in that God by your grace we can be saved and Lord I ask you that that's true of each one that is gathered here today that each person would know you and is part of your family is part of your church but that God you have told us that your kingdom your kingdom that is that is here is full of wheat and tares and it's not true it's not true that all know you Lord we ask that God this morning that God, you're, you're, you would lead, you would lead those who do not know you to know you, to trust in you, to turn and trust in your son, Jesus. So Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that was yesterday morning to invite families and children up here to be able to give simple gifts, be able to give uniforms and calculators and backpacks, and to be able to give these things, Lord, in an effort to display your abundant, gracious love, your kindness, and in order to build relationships that you would be glorified and seen rightly by these families. And so, Father, I ask your help that God, you, Lord, would help your people here to support, to pray for, to minister to, and to love on uh, foster families. That God, these these families across this county, Lord, I ask you to, to help us, God, to uh, be able to continue to build relationships with them, be able to be there for them, and be able to help them. And that, God, you would use those efforts, you would use those relationships, God, for your glory and for the good of these kids and these families. So, Father, thank you for that. Lord, we ask you to be with us over the next few moments, that, God, you would be glorified, you would be exalted, God, and that Christ would be known. We thank you and ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we continue in worship.
Father, you are so good. God, you are so gracious. Lord, what amazing grace you have. Grace that leaves us in awe of you. While we are so undeserving, you give it freely. Lord, thank you. God, I pray for Mr. Billy, Lord, as he comes to present your word, as he comes to preach and to teach, God, that you will speak through him or give him the words to share. God, prepare our hearts for this time of worship, to be able to worship through reading your scripture and through learning more about you. Lord, that we might be able to leave this building, God, better equipped to be your church. Father, help us to love you and serve you well in all that we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning again. privilege to, to be woken up this morning. It's a privilege to be before you guys, gals, women, men. Up on the slide, Titus 2. What comes to mind in a church kind of context when you, when you hear Titus 2? I may ask rhetorical questions, but this will be a time where I would appreciate an answer. Titus 2. Anybody? Well, I was remiss, but someone reminded me this morning, Titus 2, that typically we think about Titus 2, ministry of, of older women and younger women. And that is true. There's much, much, much more. So if you take it, that second chapter of Titus and divide it in half, for one, why divide it in half? There's two major themes. What, what God has done in Christ. And then the other half, what our responsibility and uh, faith and obedience is. So that's the half. So that second half, call it 50%, divide that into four categories of group of people that we're going to read and talk about. Older women and younger women are only half of that. So that's... 25%. So if we think about Titus 2, and you only think about older women, ministry of older women to younger women, listen out on 75% scripture. So if we believe that all scripture is profitable, excuse me, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped adequate for every good work. So we're missing a lot there if we only think about 25% of Scripture. It says all Scripture is inspired by God. So this morning, I might be a little ambitious with uh, the entirety of the second chapter of Paul's letter to Titus. We're going we're gonna to do that, Lord willing. So let me pray, and we'll 
We'll begin reading. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, give thanks for today. Lord, thank you for uh, the inspiration of your word. Lord, the faithful men uh, that captured it. Lord, the faithful men that translated it, that transcribed it uh, century after century. Thank you for the perseverance of the saints that uh, they kept for that, that fought for that, that died for that, that for your word, where it is profitable uh, for so much. Lord, let us... Uh, our, our hearts, that is our mind as well for these, uh, this next uh, short season of time that we may open up your word uh, and glean for it um, life, as Peter said where are we to go? Jesus, you have the words that are life so with that in mind your words bring life your word is truth let us be sanctified by it in Jesus name a little long, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it quickly. If I get everybody to stand up, I'm going to read chapter 2 of Titus. Follow along. We're reading from the New American Standard. Um, but as for you, speak these things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior not malicious gossip, nor enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to live with their husband, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You can be seated. So right off the bat, so how I'd like to approach this this morning is, is go, you know, uh, section by section, verse by verse, or uh, the topic of audience by person. Uh, go through that, draw out a few points, um, speak about what it meant, and then the applicability to, to the extent that it is of today, and then kind of sum it all up. But as I read through Titus chapter 2, really the entire book of Titus, I was reminded of the repeated theme and or words of good works. A call to responsibility. So the title may kind of catch some of, uh, some of the youth's uh, mind. Called it Call of Duty. But Paul, he, he says, this response is sound doctrine. So it's not merely an obligation. It's not... The false belief that works bring about 
sanctification and our salvation, but it's a call and response. In essence, to say it differently, it is faith in action. And aside from the other book of James, the letter of James, which is very practical, charged with action, Titus, in my mind, is, a, is close to that. It should compel us to say, why Titus chapter 2? Well, the men are going through Titus this season, and we're on this second chapter, and I was like, there it is. It addresses everybody, it addresses me. It was profitable. So let's take a look at the first verse. But as for you, speak these things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So, but as for you, in contrast, what was said before that? that there are these, the audience of the the unbelievers or believers, the, the body of the circumcision, uh, Cretans, that they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Now, this is the, the previous verse. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So here there's a profession verbally to some degree that they know God but yet their deeds are in contrast with one another. But Paul is charged for the first audience, which really is a subpart of one of the other groups. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And Paul has in mind that this speaking isn't just on a given day, that it isn't just at that home church, but it's continuous, perpetual, it's a characteristic of his life. That formally and informally, he's proclaiming, he's heralding these things. He's talking about these things. What are these things? Some of the things that are above in, in the first chapter, and some are very specifically and explicitly the things that he's going to say below. And he frames these things and saying, speak these things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So he begins to define, articulate, and break down what is a portion of sound doctrine. Now, sound, when I think about sound, I think about it in the auditory sense, that it is something of, of sound. But it's, it's, it is that, and it's much more than that. It's sound. It's solid. It's firm. It's trustworthy. It's healthy. It's profitable. It should cause a response. Just like sound causes a response of enjoyment or not. But the sound doctrine, teaching of Scripture and the precepts that flow from that are fitting, they're appropriate, they have an act, an action, a response. So then we get into the, the three other groups, or the four groups. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Well, a short study, to my dismay, older men, was anybody older than 40? Any man older than 40? So I'm an old man. Um, but young men, don't, don't think you're going to get off the hook because he addresses us as well. So older men, it's basically a generation that has had kids who's had kids. Are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound of faith, and love and perseverance. To be temperate. What does it mean to be temperate? That's maybe not a word we use today. It can mean temperate in behavior and actions. Sometimes it's 
narrowly looked at sobriety in the sense of a substance. Say narrowly because that is temperance, to, to be mindful, to be moderate into something. But it's much more than that. It should be self-controlled in terms of action, conduct, things that we take in, things that we're a part of. It should be temperate. Next is to be dignified, worthy of respect. You know, the respect of man is one thing, but ultimately the respect of God. But nevertheless, Paul is saying here to Tim, Titus, who's saying to these older men, that they should live a life that is dignified, that is noteworthy, that is distinct, different. Amongst this Cretan, these men of Crete, who are described as liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, that, that their life, the believer's life, should be worthy of respect. The next one is sensible, prudent, moderate. You know, or, or maybe another way to describe that is you know, prudent, moderate, with regard to acting or showing care or thought for the future or thought for others uh, in behavior and conduct. These next three... Uh, sound in faith and love and perseverance. You know, I, I kept that sound in faith and the sound in love, sound in perseverance. You know, sound in faith, what does that sound in faith look like? That it was healthy. Healthy belief. It was a healthy response. The other book that I mentioned, James, it says be doers of the word, not merely hearers who del- delude or deceive themselves. So the sound in faith is a healthy action of belief, an action of faith. Sound in love. Here, love is an affection, being mindful. They're part of a family. In the previous chapter, there's this false teaching that's disrupting families. And here's an example of some families. So the affection, so the mind, so part of that temperate, the dignified, sensible faith, the sound in love, that they would be, healthy in their affection, their dialogue, their relationships with one and another. Now here specifically, Paul, Titus is addressing men, older men, older women, younger women, young men, explicitly on these points, but indirectly, some of these same things are consistent with everybody. So just because something's not listed, there may be other places in Scripture or Paul's letters, such as to Timothy, carry some of these forward. And sound in perseverance, healthy steadfastness, firm and unwavering. You know, maybe not so much of uh, the culture past, but uh, at the time of Paul's writing, there probably were some major changes that occurred in culture and history. But today, so much more. So how much more should we have that mindset of being sound in perseverance, to not be unwavered by the the ever-changing culture or beliefs, or proposed teachings. So that's kind of what it meant. So what are, what are some of those same temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance? Are any of those translatable exactly to today? Well, being temperate, or as I said, you know, Sober in mind and thinking and body and action should not be controlled or fueled by the world, by the flesh. You know, marketing and media 
very intentional on putting out marketing material that says implicitly what you have and what you are isn't enough. So to be self-controlled, to be temperate in that men, to not be led that I need the next whatever, I need the next this, then that'll make me. No. For a season it may. Jesus said, peace I give you, not as the world gives you. So the world does definitely give us some things, and I'll say that. But the temperance is very much appropriate to today. Be dignified. Uh, as, as older men, as an older man, to desire respect or to be mindful of what I do has an effect on others that God's design would be, be an example. He says this explicitly to, to Titus through Paul. Be an example. Basically, he's saying, if you're an example, if you're faithful, it glorifies God. And those men look to you. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So our actions and expectations as older men, 40 and up, is that we should live a life that not that it, it should, but it causes about the, the thought or observation of others. So older men to older, younger men. We shouldn't demand respect, but nevertheless, it affects. To be sensible, act of showing thought and care for the future. You know, in that amazing grace, it was a verse, you know, soon the world will not be like it is. But what do we do in that time period? Do we tarry? You know, do, do we wait? How do we wait? And that kind of comes up with the sound of perseverance. That we should be mindful of tomorrow as long as tomorrow can come or will come. Sound in faith. A healthy belief, not slipping into, so this is the audience of older men, right? Not slipping into trust of self, stuff, 401ks, retirement, a leisure schedule, money, stepping on toes, my toes yet. That sound in faith, we can unintentionally as older men begin thinking about the other things that we maybe implicitly put faith or trust in, health. The end of Romans chapter 8 talks about what can separate us from God. So we can unintentionally put faith and thought and focus in other things that are contradiction to sound in faith, healthy belief, healthy action. Sound in love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. So sound in love, if our response to some of these things and probably some others, if, if we kind of repel from that, it should cause us to question, how much do I really love Christ? So it's not focus on workspace themselves or the things, the good deeds, as Paul the Titus says, but ultimately they reveal in what we believe about God, what place he has. The next, the next section is older women. 
Here we are, Titus 2, the typical Titus 2. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. We kind of stop short there, teaching what is good. So one thing that stands out as is, is I read this verse and some other ones as following is in this verse, there's a so that. So so that is, is a purpose clause statement. So it's related to or explains or gives reason for something. So sometimes we'll read through, we'll read through scripture and be like, so what is, what am I to do with that? How does that, bring about some action, some belief, some repentant thought, something. The Holy Spirit inspired by, inspired Paul to write this. He makes it clear. So that, so there's a purpose clause. So this gives the reason. So older women, so their behavior of being reverent in their behavior, it's priestly in their demeanor. Not malicious gossips nor enslaved to too much wine. That's kind of self-explanatory. Not malicious gossip. So not, not so much the fact that gossips, gossiping, but maliciously doing that. Whether, so gossip can be unintentional, but malicious gossip, that's intentional. So there's intentionality. Or enslaved to too much wine. Teaching what is good. So sometimes the word teaching, sometimes the word encourage in this verse, both are used. Um, think about it, teaching is, is verbally what comes about. Granted, it can be demonstratively as well. But teaching what is good. So that they may encourage the younger women to love their husband, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. So these older women, likewise to be reverent, you know, in, in their behavior, the culture, you know, it, it doesn't, just, Paul doesn't necessarily delineate. He says one of their prophets in verse, chapter 1, verse 12, says of their own self, so this is self-evident, self-statement, and Paul stamps on it, verse 13, this is a trustworthy statement, or this testimony is true, that the Cretans are la- lazy gluttons, evil beasts, liars. It doesn't say if it's men, women, younger men, younger women, but he just says Cretans. It's characteristics of that, of that people group. And to some degree, it may be characteristics of what we could maybe deduce this group of people in chapter 2 is professing believers. So to be reverent, you know, so how are we reverent to today like this audience for older women is today, not just out, outwardly appearance. You know, you know I, I use the word to describe that reverent is priestly in the demeanor, their conduct, you know, their appearance. And other passages of scripture, it addressed, it addresses clothes, those kind of things. So here it may be that, and it may be much more than that in their behavior, outwardly, but then also inwardly. 
And in relation to the inwardly part of reverent, it's not in the, explicitly in the context of just the conduct in the church, but it has this idea based on this, this, this Titus II type mentoring discipleship between older women and younger women that it goes much beyond that. It goes into the home because Paul himself through Titus says specifically that's part of the audience as well. So not malicious gossips, not enslaved to too much wine. You know, talk shows today, talk shows and tabloids. Uh, I don't know the precise, but I'll just throw out a number. 70% of daytime TV shows, talk shows, soap operas are targeted towards women, marketed towards women. Why is that? Probably because that people group is watching it. Now, I'm not going to completely say that that's what shouldn't be done. There are probably things that are clearly not reverent in that. But even culture realizes the power of that. The tabloids, you know, going and checking out. You know, all those magazines perpetuate, as, as Paul says to Titus in a previous verse, empty talk. But different context. But nevertheless, that can be an audience where the world, the enemy, knows an audience and perhaps a weakness. So much more older women should be mindful of that. And older men should be mindful of the ways that they can be tempted to not be temperate, to not be dignified or sensible. Enslaved to too much wine. Apparently it was a problem back then. And probably an even more of a problem, I won't say probably, even more of a problem now. Teaching what is good. So the, the desire for, for God is these older women, explicitly, but then also men, because Paul is older, to Titus, who's younger, is demonstrating the same thing, teaching what is good. Not so much good, but sound doctrine. Not spending the later years languishing in self-indulgence or encapsulated by sin or entanglements. We should cast those things aside. So specifically older women, but then also I'll pull back up and say older men as well. For the purpose of that purpose clause so that they may encourage the, yeah, here's the third group, Younger women to love their husband, to love their children, to be sensible, to be pure, workers, or to be sensible, pure, workers at home, being subject to their own husbands. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. So here's a, a, a desire of God that older women encourage or train younger women to respond, to be relate to their husbands, if it's applicable, to relate and love to their children, if it's applicable, meaning if they are married and if they do have kids. But then there's this purpose clause, so that. So in and of itself, the older women to the younger women isn't just that in itself, it ends. Ultimately, it's related to 
the word of God being dishonored or honored. So while Paul has in mind the older women, younger women, younger women with kids, and husbands in this, in this regard, our conduct, sensible, pure, how we engage in responsibilities and stewardship, our, our submission to one another bears on the honoring and dishonoring of the word of God. Do we see that? Or do we just think about it, oh, I was just disobedient to so-and-so, or I wasn't as kind, as sensible, as you know, answering back as softly as I could. Did I let that offense slide to the point where I maybe addressed it in a different manner? So that first individual interaction ultimately has to relate to how we respond and what we believe about God and his word. So for here, Paul probably was saying it stands for the witness, the witness of this early church and what you older men, older women to younger women, eventually younger men here in a minute, that's where they see Either God, the God that you profess is honored or is he dishonored? Because this culture is lazy, gluttonous, evil beasts, liars. So God is calling this people out to be different and to say, hey, don't disrelate to one another for the sake of relating to one another in a, in a peaceable, pure, dignified manner, but ultimately it believes, it reveals what you believe about the word God himself. Later, in another passage in 1 Peter, he says of of the relationship of of women to husbands in the the context of unbelieving husbands. So here's kind of an example that the relational aspect between a a wife and a husband in this context, an unbelieving husband, he says, in the same way, well, what same way? In the same way that Christ submitted, in the same way that Christ loved, in the same way that God manifested himself, in the same way you, your wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that, here's the purpose clause, so that, let me back up. You're probably wondering, like, why? Why do I need to be submissive? Submissive in the sense of not the husband not to not be domineering. So a, a command for the wife to be submissive isn't, uh, doesn't give the credence for the man to be domineering. Not at all. But, but subject to your own husband. So that, that if any of them are disobedient, so one, they're being disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. So what is said or what is caught in terms of the gospel, taught versus caught. What is taught, yes, but also will be demonstrated, i.e. caught. It could cause that husband or the children, because we're not born, believers aren't born believers. At some point in time in their life, a certain period of their life, they're unbelievers. People just don't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to read the word of God. God can speak as he did in the past and reveal himself 
and call someone to faith and, and believe in repentance towards him. But today we have his word and, and how we relate to that, how we act upon that, how we faith by grace through faith. So the faith part, the, the, the call to duty, call to action, call to good deeds is demonstrating of, of God's characteristics. That should be noticeable. It should cause others to say, hey, to be sensible. This, this sense, the sensibility and the command to be sensible is a, a repeated word. So it is, it is important. Showing care and thought for the future and action. To be pure. To be pure in, in the sense of pure Paul to Titus and what, what's being said. The young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, to be pure. Pure in the sense of not sinless, but the fact that to their degree, to their conscience, they would be innocent. If there's an offense that comes to mind, there's a sin that comes to mind, it's dealt with, it's repented of, it's acknowledged. If there's restitution, if there's something, then it's moved upon. So therefore, they can move, my, move forwardly with that, with that faultless and blameless aspect. Again, it's not a sinless state, but it's to be pure in conduct in as far and as they're aware. To be kind, to be good, to be subject, submissive to their own husbands. And the, the why that I put there is, or this stated, is so the word of God, again, will not be dishonored or spoken against us. So here, Paul turns to, to Titus, but he somewhat lets the young men off here, or it appears he does. Verse 6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. So young men, if, based on my earlier age, 39 and under. So we got some young men here. Or to be sensible. Here's that word sensible. Come back again. But it begins with likewise. Like what? Probably likewise from the stuff above. So explicitly sensibility of the young men. Be moderate. To be prudent. To be mindful. There's an aspect of self-control with that. To be thoughtful of relationship, actions, consequence. It's one word, but it can mean so much in that the application can be so reaching. But he says, likewise. And then he goes in, verse 7, in all things, show yourself to be example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Why, you ask? So that. The opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So Paul addresses to Titus, young men, and then he says, in all things show yourself. So in the subcategory, Titus is that younger man. Maybe not as young as Titus or Timothy, but nevertheless he's younger. So it's, it's in that heading. To be an example of good deeds. Why should he be example? People shouldn't follow him, but ultimately, they should reveal something about his belief. 
with purity and doctrine. So not just like he says to the, to the women, to the younger woman about pure. He says pure in doctrine, faultless, faultless. The correct activity of teaching, proclaiming, heralding. Again, it's not explicitly in that home church environment, but it's characteristics of his life. Be an example. Paul says to Timothy, in season, out of season. Rephrase it, in the pulpit, out of the pulpit. In the marketplace, in the home. That the fact that his public life and private life would be consistent. It would be pure. It would be faultless, correct in its activity. The teaching would be consistent. Dignified. Kind of related to worthy of respect. So he's an example of good deeds and he's worthy of respect. Why? Ultimately because his words and actions reveal what he believes about God and the word of God. Sound in speech. Two auditory terms, sound in speech. His message, his speech, his dialogue with with one another would be consistent. It would be healthy. When we speak what is only profitable for the building up. Say it again, his, his regular ordinary life and his private life would be consistent. It would be sound. What he says has a positive intended purpose, healthiness. And here's the, the why. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So one, who, who's the opponent? The Cretans? The ever-lying? The evil, got the evil people? The lazy gluttons? Well, yes, it's them. But then it's also anybody that stands in, in opposition to the sound doctrine, the sound speech, the conduct that is called good deeds. You know, this morning we talked to the, the, young, the younger guys in, in middle school that came up, you know, that the fact that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say because what we say matches up what we do. We're not hypocrites. Because ultimately that dishonors God and maybe what his word that we're trying to share, our witness. So it has an effect. Through our conduct, the desire... Paul to Titus to these younger men and also himself is that his conduct would give evidence of God's greatness and God's mercy and God's purpose, his ways. So this next in the last section of, of the audience, uh, the, the remaining 12% of the audience uh, of the first division is urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? So that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. So bond slaves, it's another way, servants, but they were committed to a master. He demands, God demands them to be subject to their own masters. 
in this context, believing bond slaves, it was a tendency to use the gospel as a means to rebel their unbelieving masters. So basically he's saying this and implying, even though it's not specifically listed, he's saying that even though you are under the rule and authority of an unbelieving master, you submit to them. You be well-pleasing. Whatever their role, whatever their station in life, that they would do that to the best that they have could. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God, not for that unbelieving master. Not argumentative, not pilfering. So they wouldn't resist, they wouldn't contradict, they wouldn't backbite, they wouldn't slander, they wouldn't say, well, no, I'm going to do it this way, or I already did that, I already, already fed the, the livestock. Not pilfering, not withholding. So in, a, in an agricultural society, they would gather crops, they would withhold the best. He says not to be argumentative, not to be pilfering. Don't withhold. Give, give everything. Ultimately, because it relates to something bigger than someone and someone who's above that, that master. Showing all good faith. That's the entirety of faithfulness. Show all good faith in all matters of life. And why is that? So that they, bond slaves, will adorn the doctrine of, of God, our Savior, in every respect. Adorn, that's probably not a word we use as much. But in a sense, it's to, to put on, right? But it's, not, it's much more than just putting on. It's to put on for the purpose of being on display. So God's desire in this is that it will adorn the doctrine, the teaching of God and our Savior in every respect. It would draw attention in a positive way. He desires for them to be in submission to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith. So it would be put on for the purpose of displaying God's doctrine of himself then also the salvation that brings about through the Son, Jesus Christ. So there we kind of look at, and in this we kind of look at the, the last half of this, this chapter, which in some other Paul's letters the doxology, the, the belief where he lays out what Christ has done or what he has done, God has done, then he begins to detail it. So it seems a little backwards in the layout, but I think it was intentional in the fact that Titus, probably a little bit older than Timothy, gives the, the call to action for the purpose relating to how it relates to honoring God, dishonoring God, how we respond to his word, how that adored. Is it consistent? And then he explicitly goes into verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. For the grace of God has appeared. So the word became flesh, but the grace of God became flesh. Bringing salvation to all men. Now it's not quantitatively all men, like everybody's saved, but the substance of the characteristics of older men, older 
women, younger men, younger women, children, the substance of all people groups, Christ came to save that which was lost. All those types of people groups, they were lost. Even for today, those people groups without Christ are lost. So we need his grace. But why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for those who... But why? Did it just end there? God loved the world and Christ came and his grace appeared? There's much to that. God was glorified in that. He even said, the father said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. So there was a relationship, there was a, a pleasing aspect before salvation actually came at the cross and the resurrection. Verse 12 says, instructing us so that the grace of God came. What? There's kind of a purpose clause. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So to, for them, it was to deny, to disown, to, to not trust in a, a religion that they were in, that came out of Judaism, is to, to, to leave that, to not trust in the, the sparse, you know, things of, of the world, you know, food, clothing, money, is to not trust those things, to deny those things. Not to say that they're not, in, not needed, but that they would deny the ungodliness aspect of those those things that were in contradiction. That they would deny worldly desires. Maybe a very natural worldly desire was self-preservation. A desire of, of all humanity is the appreciation, the value of life. And it is important. But if we look to focus on that, that that can bring about, like, I'm going to do whatever I can to save myself. That can be a dimension of worldly desire. In addition to the material things of the world or the culture, the job titles, the, the, the other stuff, those can be as well. And I would say for us today, that's further growing. You know, this may be more of a challenge. The desire is put before us instantaneously. To live sensibly. Here's that word sensibly. Again. Be prudent. To be moderate. Acting and showing care or thought for the future. To live sensibly. So this should, should for the believer, cause and work about a belief of, of is God really who he says he is? Is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? Is he really going to come back? Am I really going to be prepared to the point where am I going to continue in faith? Am I going to continue to believe? Am I continuing to be a good steward? Jesus talks about the parables and giving talents, putting people to work. And then he would go on a journey. He would go and he would come back with what? An expectation. So ultimately we're saved by grace, that salvation but to the point where there's this other thing 
these other things that can be and are a part of God's work and plan. He says in James, Blessed a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So perseverance is something that we do in light of what God has done. Perseverance under, you know, sunny days and calm seas, not really perseverance, but perseverance when things are hard. So it was hard for them and it's hard for us today. So our command to live, that's an active sense. Each day, casting those cares, anxieties, burdens on him who loves us. Righteously. To live righteously, to live godly. So righteously could be summarized in one way to make a differentiation between righteously and godly is righteously is how we respond to, to God, what we believe about God in relation to others. And that live godly in terms of live in relation to what we think about God. So here Paul to Titus is talking about how you relate, continue to relate to one another because of what God has done. He's appeared, bringing when what he's done, instructing us to do this, that is twofold. Live righteously before one another in this relational, older men, older women, younger women, younger men. But then also it reveals what we believe and we, how we honor God. In the present age. And then how should we live? How should we we should be looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So how should we live? You know, there's, a, there's an author. I think that's the title of a book. So then how should we live? Well, Paul the Titus says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we should live. So with the mind of how we interact with others as a community, as a body of believers, and then a body of believers out in the world, that we would live with the mindset of the great incentive of the resurrection, the second coming of Christ. For you don't believe, for if the world doesn't believe that, then what hope do they have? And for us who believe, that should be our first hope. Because at this point in time, Jesus already came, walked, died upon a cross, was buried, was resurrected, and ascended. So Paul the Titus is saying, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, for glimpses of periods of time, that glory can be seen, but it is often veiled by sometimes our own disobedience. Sometimes it's veiled by the enemy. Sometimes it's momentarily veiled by our own volition. But as we walk in good works, that's faith and repentance, we can see a little bit of that glory. The second part of how we should live 
is to focus on perseverance and trials. And where did I get that from? That Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify us. So what takes place in that lawless deed? Well, there's wrong, there's sin that happens. There's trials. And to purify us, in order to be pure, you had to be unpure or be dirty, be filthy. So how we should live is a focus of perseverance in that blessed hope of the coming of Christ, our great God and Savior, in these things. Why? Because we're, we're possessed by him. And his Holy Spirit indwells us. So it's not just us on our own, but it's for him, his possession. And why? Why should we live looking for the blessed hope? Why should we live focusing, or how should we live, I should say, not why, but how? How should we live? Not so much just engaged in good deeds or thinking about good deeds, but kind of a combination, and even before that, that would be zealous for good deeds. So the thoughts and intentions of our hearts would not, not only just recognize and believe that, but we would be zealous, we'd be compelled, we'd be excited for the good deeds. It's not works-based, but nevertheless, It can diminish our experience of God's grace if we're not focusing on that. Or to say it differently, it could be that we would, if we don't, if we're not zealous and mindful for those reasons, that we would somehow void our experience of the blessing of redemption. That Christ himself gave us to redeem us. So a live a redeemed life. So Paul to Titus ends this in the last verse. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. What are these things or how, what should you do with them? These things, these sound doctrine. It says these things speak. I'd say publicly, privately, as he's getting up, as he's going down, all the time. He speaks these things. He exhorts these things. And in a sense that he says, speaks, proclaims these things for the purpose of Summoning a response, a call to repentance perhaps, and a call to a deeper belief in God's work, his grace, his appearing, his coming of Christ. And reprove with all authority. So to the point where there is an action that has dishonored God, dishonored the belief in his word, he commands Paul, Paul commands Titus, to reprove, to correct, 
to not idly allow someone to remain in that state, but nevertheless say something and express that love, just like younger women are called explicitly to love their husbands, love their children. So if, if, if we don't, to the point where it's applicable, if we don't reprove one another, then we're not loving them and we're not loving Christ. So he says, if you love me, you will obey me. You will believe me. If you love me, you will believe. You will obey. And he ends it with, let no one disregard you. Why does he say, let no one disregard you? Probably because there will be people that disregard. So the broader audience that he speaks these things, there will be opposition. There will be those that contradict sound doctrine, as he says in other passages. But for the believer, thinking about that that part in uh, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared and brings salvation to all men. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So at this point in time, if you haven't today and aren't looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of God, this can be a time where Minds transformed, you you renewed, you revived, you refreshed. That you look for that that blessed hope, the returning of Christ. And it may be a time where you know younger folks or unbelievers, you maybe don't know what it is. You're like, I don't know how to look for it. Is that just like visually? I'm looking for it. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. Do I go around? Do I go to the library? Do I pick up a Bible? Where do I read? So if you're you're younger, maybe not quite knowing, you're stirred, like, how do I, what does it mean to look, look for the blessed hope? I know how to look for stuff, but blessed hope, that seems to be immaterial, at least now. Pastor Matthew and and I'll be down here. If you feel a need to, to, to come to the altar, come. Where you're at, remain, at least not for long.